0: Sometimes, you know how it is in your job or at your school, you realize just how poor of a job you've done, and uh, you realize you need to make amends uh, about some things. And uh, I think last week, I preached on the Bible. It was a sermon that I haven't preached in a long, long time. Um, You know, you guys turn over about every two or three years. I probably should preach that sermon every two years at least, and I should preach this sermon. Uh, at least every two years. It's been a, it's been a long time since I preached this sermon. Um, and uh, so, my apologies. Um, I'll try to do better in the future. But uh,
1: I just wanted to start
0: tonight with uh, a song that some of you may be familiar with. Michael W. Smith performed the song, he didn't write it. It's called Ancient Words. Does anybody know this song? I know that uh, Eleni will know it and probably Chinelo. We used to close every service. We used to close this, every service uh, that we had with the chorus of that song. Uh, it came out of the congregation around 2005. They said, you know, we should just close every service like that because that's who we are. We are about the ancient words of God. And you guys know the chorus. It says, ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. That's what we talked a lot about last week. That's who we are at ICM. We open the Bible. We preach the Bible. That's what we do. We love His ancient words. It's on our website that we affirm that the 66 books of the Bible are the inerrant, infallible, trustworthy, authoritative Word of God. We make no apologies for the Word of God in here. If God says it, We'll preach it. As I said last week, he says what he means. He means what he says. It doesn't matter a lot to us that it might be cross culture. It most often, always is. The culture really doesn't want to hear what God says. But we are his people. We love his word. Amen. As I said last week, it's our meat, it is our drink. And it is our bread. As I said last week, we believe in this church. And if you didn't hear last week's sermon, you can go download it on the podcast site. But we believe in this church that Jehovah God is God enough to not only reveal His, to, to make His revelation known to, to sovereignly chosen men, He's God enough to preserve it. And I know that uh, there are some folks who call themselves Christian denominations who uh, profess or say that God's Word has been tampered with, it has been polluted by, by the writings of men, or by cultural bias, blah, blah, blah. I, as I said last week, I think if that's your view of God, you, you have no God at all. If He's not God enough to, to make His revelation known and to preserve that revelation, you're certainly not worshiping God jesus christ you're worshiping some caricature of jesus christ because jesus christ is the great sovereign lord he rules and he reigns he does all his good pleasure in heaven and in earth and it is a small thing for him to reveal his word and preserve it for you so mankind is without excuse we have the natural revelation and we have the special revelation mankind is without excuse we know what God has said. It's right here in the 66 books of the Bible. We talked a lot about that last week. In the 11 years that Karen and I have been in Milan uh, pastoring this church, we've had 79 Nations come through. I need, I need one more, man. I want to get to that 80, right? We've had 79 nations come through. And every conceivable denomination that you can think of, and some I've never heard of. So, how does it work? How does a church like this work with, with all that diversity? How does it work? I, I, I alluded to it last week. It works because we're not denominational, we don't do denominationalism in here. As I said last week, when new people come, they'll want to know, they say, well, Jim, what's your your denominational slant? I can in all honesty say, I do not have one. I consciously do not have one. This is what we do. This. If If God says it, we do it. If God doesn't say it, we don't do it. If it's not clear in here, we don't do it. We don't say it. We don't proclaim it. So, The way this church works is because with all this diversity is because we have one authority. We come together and submit under this one authority. It is the Word of God. I said all of that to say this. I'm going to preach about baptism tonight. It's a sermon that I probably should preach as I said earlier, more often. Um... I'm not going to preach a denominational view. Uh, I'm just going to let I'm just we're just going to open the Bible and, and we're going to hear what God says. We're just going to listen to God. That's really our whole philosophy in this church. We just want to hear from God. I don't care what the Pope says. I don't care what the patriarch says. I don't care what the biggest preacher in the states, Protestant preacher in the States says. I don't really care what they say. They may say some good stuff, but what we want to know is what does God say about baptism? I don't care what the Catholic Church says. I don't care what the Eastern Orthodox Church says. I don't care what all the Protestants are doing in America. I don't care. I just don't care. I'll study their arguments. And if they're not biblical, I'll reject them. And this is how you need to be too, beloved. This is how we all need to be. We call ourselves Christians. Are we a people of the Word or not? So I'm going to preach about baptism tonight. A sermon that's probably well overdue. Here's the deal. (laughs) Your opinion, my opinion, or the opinion of a thousand denominational theologians, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I just want to know, as I trust you do, what does God have to say? So I'm preaching on this because it's overdue. It's a fundamental truth um, about how about how true believers respond to the Gospel. Baptism is a fundamental truth that we need to understand what God's Word has said. Uh, Secondly, it's been too long. The third reason I'm preaching is I've had several questions in the last few weeks, and usually when questions start to arise in the church, that tells me it's time to preach on it. Some of you may say, Well, I've already been baptized. This sermon doesn't relate to me. If I could get up and walk out, you know, and not be impolite, I would do it. There goes a ratio. <laughs> um, uh, maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, even so, it's important for you to hear what God has to say. You, even if you've been baptized in a biblical. <laughs> sense you need to be able to talk about this to your kids, to your friends, your colleagues, your family members. You need to you need to understand what God says about baptism, not what some denomination you were raised in says. So that's where we are this evening. Having said that, let me draw an analogy. Baptism Baptism is a symbol. It's a symbol. It's an outward symbol of an inward reality. That's my fundamental definition for baptism. It's an outward symbol of an inward reality. There are symbols and then there are symbols. Uh, A teacher can write the the letters L-O-V-E on the blackboard and tell her students that this is The English language symbol for love. Now, she can do that without feeling any love at all, right? She doesn't have to, she can be wholly devoid of love and teach about love. That's not the way, that's not baptism. That's not the kind of symbol I'm talking about, right? Baptism, biblical baptism, believers' baptism is not heart dead, brain dead ritual. It's not that. The other analogy I would draw is you know, a man's in love with a woman, right? And he goes and buys her something and he takes her to a special place and he asks her a very important question. And he's got that symbol in in his pocket, right? And he asks her, will you spend the rest of your life with me? And she says, of course I will. He pulls out that symbol and he puts that symbol on her finger. That's the kind of symbol I'm talking about. When you think about a symbol and you think about baptism, that's what I'm talking about. Baptism is becoming part of the bride of Christ. That's how meaningful the symbol is in God's economy and in the Word of God. True baptism is, I love this God so much, I can't stand it if you don't baptize me. This is the only way I will baptize anybody if I'm convinced that that's what's in their heart and they can communicate that to me. Uh, I'm a little bit of a hard sell when it comes to baptism. I don't just baptize anybody who has a whim. Uh, I like to have some understanding that they, they they have experienced a change in their life, that they have fallen in love with Jesus Christ, and He is their King. He is their God. He is their Lord. He is their Savior. And they want to give themselves away to Him. That's what baptism is. Bapti- the first step into giving yourself away to a God like this is baptism. It's the first step. It should be the first step. It not always is because of bad teaching. It should be the first step. You come to Christ, believer's Baptism should be the first according to, according to the Scriptures. So, believer's baptism, it's a declaration to the world, I love Christ. He's first. This is what believer's baptism is. This is what it means in the Bible. He's first. My wife's not first. My husband's not first. My kids aren't first. My job's, my job's not first. My bank account's not first. My portfolio's not first. Nothing is first. God is first. Jesus Christ is first. That's what biblical baptism means. I give myself to this God. Holy, completely, utterly, totally. That's what biblical baptism means. That's what believer's baptism means. It's an outward symbol of the inward reality of what God has done in our hearts. We talk about it all the time. It's that born-again miracle, right? God does the heart transplant, right? (laughs) Old Testament, New Testament. We talked about it in Young Adult Bible Study some weeks ago. God does the heart transplant. God does the heart transplant. And we cannot not go with Christ. Amen? We don't have to be disciples to be saved. We have to be disciples because we are saved. You can't stop a real Christian from walking radically with Christ. I'm not saying we can't have seasons where we may be dull, but that season should be passing quickly. You can't hold back a real Christian from radically obeying and loving and obeying Jesus Christ. It's impossible. You can't do it. Ultimately, they will be radically honoring Christ in their life. So, I just, initially, I just want to do a brief survey of what the Bible says about baptism, the New Testament, what the New Testament says about baptism. Uh, we know that the New Testament practice of baptism began with John the Baptist, right? You guys know this. Let me give you a quote from John Piper, American preacher, uh, talking about the uh, baptism of John. John Piper says the Messiah has arrived and He will be gathering a new people for Himself. The mark of this new people is not ethnicity or religious conformity. It's not Jewishness, but um, true inward repentance and faith. It's the new covenant. The The paradigm is changing. Right? Now men have always been saved by faith. It's always been true from Old Testament times. But the New Covenant is here. Piper continues, what counts in God's people is not your ethnicity or religiosity. It's who you love. Don't you love that? That's biblical baptism. It's who you love. And if you don't love Him, you should not be baptized. It can't be some dumb ritual. Brain dead, heart dead. Ritual. Ritual. That's not the meaning of baptism on the pages of Scripture. So John the Baptist, he laid the foundation. And what was his message? What was John the Baptist's message? What was it? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. That's who baptism is for. Those who have repented and those who have believed. That's who baptism is for. It's not for anybody else according to the Bible. Now I know the denominations have got it all messed up, and you got people getting baptized all over the place. They have not repented of their sins and they have not believed. You can see it in their life. You hear it in their words. John the Baptist laid the groundwork in the New Testament. Repent and believe. This is one of the foundation stones of biblical baptism. Secondly, you guys know, Jesus Christ was baptized. You remember the account, I'm sure. Jesus didn't need to be baptized because He was the sinless Son of God. And you may remember, uh, John protested. He said, I, 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 I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me, right? But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness We are like Jesus in that God calls us to fulfill all righteousness. You know, I meet some Christians and I start to talk to them about baptism and they have this cavalier attitude about it. Like, well, it doesn't really matter because it doesn't really save me. It's just a ritual. Listen, you haven't begun to understand. If that's your attitude, you haven't begun to understand what God has done in your behalf and what He's trying to say to you through believers' Baptism. Thirdly, not only was Jesus baptized in John 3 and John 4, Jesus tells His men to baptize. John 4, 1 and 2, Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus Himself was not baptizing, but His disciples were. So Jesus sanctioned the practice of baptism for all who would be His disciples. From the very beginning, Jesus sanctioned this. Jesus submitted Himself for baptism. Jesus sanctioned the baptism of all who would follow Him. Jesus is the example. Fourthly, we see Jesus' command to baptize all who would repent and believe. Where does that come from? Anybody, anybody know? The Great Commission. Excellent. Very good. Twinkie for you. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19-20. Jesus says, this is... This is what He's saying to you and to me, okay? This is what He says to you and me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, right? Of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Who gets baptized according to Jesus? Who gets baptized out of that verse? Who gets baptized? Disciples get baptized. Nobody else gets baptized. Now, this is a universal truth in the New Testament, and I'll show you more evidences of it from the text, various texts. But Jesus says it. Baptism, it's like that ring that that man gives to that woman. Baptism is like that with God's people and Jesus Christ. It's a sacred thing. It's a holy thing. It's a God-ordained thing. This is no small thing, beloved. I know it's treated as a small thing in many places. Some marginal, average... Oh, it's just another church ritual. Beloved, you haven't begun to think rightly about it if that's how you think about it. Going on, we know that uh, you know Jesus said this to His disciples. Peter clearly heard Him because Peter preaches that great sermon after Pentecost and... He commands the Jews, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Later on, we know in Acts chapter 10 that Peter extends baptism to the Gentiles as he goes to Cornelius' household. And of course, we know the Apostle Paul was baptized. Acts chapter 9, verse 18. He was baptized after his conversion experience. And Paul taught and Paul practiced baptism for all converts. So in short, in summary, it was begun by John the Baptist, sanctioned by Jesus, practiced by Jesus' disciples, commanded by Jesus, administered by the apostles and the early church to all who genuinely came to Christ. Baptism is not man's idea. It's not even the church's idea. Oh, guess what? It's God's idea. That's why it's holy. That's why it's sacred. That's why it's as serious as that wedding ring. <laughs> because you are giving yourself to Christ. That's really what the imagery means. You are giving yourself to Christ. He is your husband. And as Ephesians chapter 5 says, as we've been studying our marriage class, you know, we submit ourselves to Him. Again, wholly, utterly, completely. We have no reserves when it comes to our commitment to Him. So, what I want to say, baptism is that God ordained, God sanctioned, God commanded celebration of what God's done in you. Okay? We say it all the time. Christianity is supernatural. If you're a Christian tonight, God's done a miracle in your heart. You didn't come by this by the wisdom of men or by the flesh. The Holy Spirit has entered you. The Holy Spirit has regenerated your soul. God has done a miracle. And baptism is a proclamation. My God has saved me. That's what it is, beloved. My God has saved me. If it's anything less to you than that, you've not understood what it is. My God has saved me. My groom has saved me. That's what biblical baptism is, beloved. That's what it is. And baptism is a proclamation and a celebration of the fact that God has done an awesome thing in me. It's owning and proclaiming. 2 Corinthians 5.17 We are brand new. Amen? I am brand new in Jesus Christ. I'm no longer like the world. I no longer love my sin. I still sin, but I hate it. I no longer love my sin. I love Him above sin. I love Him above all things. That's what baptism says. So I want to talk a minute about the mode of baptism. How should the New Testament church of Jesus Christ administer baptism. First, let me say that uh, the Greek word translated baptize, you guys know where it comes from. Some of you know the Greek word baptizo. What does it mean? Does anybody know exactly what the word means? Aratio's right. I'm glad you didn't walk out, brother. Aratio's (laughs) right. It means, it's as clear as it can be. If I had no other textual arguments, this is enough. The Greek word means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. Do I need to say anything else? And I'll just go ahead and tell you. Uh, there's one person in here that I've baptized. And I don't know if any of the And a few people that probably witnessed his baptism. And others. No, there's two people. Yes, there's Elaney and Tez. <coughs> and when this church baptizes, we baptize by full immersion. Because it's, it's what the Word means. <laughs> it's just what the Word means. You know? It's what the Word means. So, we're simple people. If the Word means that, we do that. Amen? That's, that's who we are. <laughs> right? Uh, the Word means that. Secondly, if you read the New Testament, you realize this is the most obvious meaning of what's happening on the pages of Scripture. Acts ten seventeen to 48 regarding Cornelius' household. Peter said, Do not refuse the water... For them to be baptized. John 3 23, much water was necessary. John was baptizing near Salim because there was much water. People came to the water. Acts 8:36. Uh, now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Acts 8:38. People went down into the water. So he commanded the, the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Mark 1, 9 through 9-10, people come up out of the water and immediately coming up out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending. Full immersion is what's happening on the pages of Scripture. There's no scholarly debate about this. And the early church always did this. It was always by immersion. It wasn't until the 14th century that other forms or modes of baptism bled into what is called the church. The early church, in conjunction with the Word of God, it was always full immersion. And of course, full immersion... Clearly dramatizes the spiritual reality of the new birth. And that's why we read Romans chapter 6. Let me just reread verses 4 and 5. Romans 6, 4 and 5. And I want you to see it. It's a parable, it's a drama of what's going on in the ceremony. Romans 6, 4 and 5. Therefore, we have been buried with him, that's Jesus Christ, through baptism into death. That's a going down, right? That's going down under the water. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in His likeness of death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. It's a parable. Baptism, Full immersion baptism is a parable. We die to self, to sin with Christ. We come back up in newness of life. It's a, it's a parable of the, of the finished work of Jesus. Amen? It, it connotes union and washing and dying and burial and resurrection. Uh, full immersion is, is the perfect picture of what the spiritual reality is, beloved. It's just the perfect picture. In my view, I'm not sure how God could be any more clearer regarding the mode of baptism. And for this reason, as I mentioned earlier, this church, when we baptize someone, it's by full immersion. This is not denominational. I don't care what any denomination does. I really don't. And some of them do things that are quite offensive in this area to me personally as I as I read the Scriptures. We're just going to do what... what we're just a simple people. We read what it says. We do what it says. Right? That's who we are. Again, it's not a denominational thing. Listen to John Piper about full immersion. Again, American preacher in the States. I love this. Listen to this. You'll love it too, I think. He says, it involves the whole body. True conversion. Oh, it involves the whole body. Right? Right? And I'm going to cut it short for sake of time because I preached too long last week, so I'm going to give you a few minutes off this week, Lord willing. But I take no responsibility for this. It's in the Spirit's hands. Baptism is saying, I surrender myself head to toe. Full immersion baptism says, I surrender myself head to toe. I hold nothing back from Jesus Christ. I surrender myself head to toe. That's what Piper's actually going to say, but I won't read it to you. But that's the point. That is the point. I actually love that so much. And let me just interject here. As I mentioned to you earlier, the Bible does not teach that baptism saves. Baptism does not save. How do we get saved? Someone tell me. What does the Bible teach? By the sovereign grace of God and exercising the gift of faith that God has given. Right? Right? and and acting on the repentance that God has granted. God saves His people, beloved. God saves His people. Baptism does not save, but everyone who is saved, who's come to a biblical understanding, will submit themselves for baptism. It really should be the first act of obedience. It not always is. I understand that in this day and age. But it should be. Baptism does not save. It's merely a symbol of the miracle of rebirth. There's no magic in the water. You can't can't textually find baptismal regeneration in the Bible. It's simply not taught in the Bible. So who should be baptized? I've already referenced this. We've already talked a little bit about it. But I want to spend a few moments. Who should be baptized? Well, the Bible's very clear about this. The Bible's exceedingly clear. Explicitly clear. There's no confusion. Who should be baptized? Believers. Believers who have repented and believed. That's, who is, that's According to the New Testament, that's who should be baptized. Nobody else should be baptized. Nobody else. Except for someone who has repented of their sin and believed in Christ for the salvation of their soul. Baptism is for them. It's not for anyone else, beloved. It's not some ceremony that we just, the church just does without thinking in some cavalier, superficial way. Again, I won't baptize anyone unless I can see it in their eyes. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? i got to see it in their eyes. they got to convince me they love Christ above everything else or I will not baptize them. I just won't do it. And I'll be honest with you. I've had several people I believed were converted and now their lives reveal that most likely they're not converted at all. They've walked away from the church. So, you know, you can't be sure. All you can do is, is receive a good profession of faith. Look them in the eye. Pray with them. Teach them. And if you're led of God to, to baptize them, but it's for believers, beloved. Really? Let's, let's talk biblically. It's for disciples. It's for disciples. It's not, biblically, it's not just to be a church member. And I know to be a church member, to become a church member in many denominations, you have to be baptized to be a church member. That really, in my view, uh, denigrates what. The New Testament is saying it's not simply about being a church member, it's about being a disciple of Christ. That's what it means. That's what it means according to the Bible. Again, I'll just (coughs) reference Matthew 28 19 to 20. Again, the words of Jesus make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father who elects, in the name of the, the Son who atones. In the name of the Spirit who regenerates. The Trinity is all the Trinities in on this work. Okay? The whole Trinity is in on it, right? This is why we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God said to, but it makes perfect biblical sense to do it. Um, So we baptize disciples. In every case in the New Testament where you see baptism, it's for believers, it's not for anybody else. Acts 2.41 At Pentecost, 3,000. They gladly received the Word and they were baptized. Acts 8.12 The Samaritan converts. When they believed the things concerning the Kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Acts 8.36-39 to The eunuch believed that Jesus is the Son of God and Philip baptized Him. Acts 9.18 The Apostle Paul, after his Damascus Road salvation experience, After the scales fell off his eyes, he arose and he was baptized. Acts 16, 14, and 15. The household of Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul and she was baptized. Acts 18, 8 in Corinth and many of the Corinthians. Hearing and believing were baptized. It's always the New Testament pattern. It's always the same pattern. Believers are baptized. More precisely, disciples are baptized. Those who are giving themselves away to Christ. That's, that's what we see on the pages of Scripture. This obviously precludes infant baptism as a biblical prescribed form of baptism. You simply can't make a case for infant baptism from the Bible. Now, I know some churches practice infant baptism. You simply can't make the case from the Bible. This is coming from men. It's not from the Bible, beloved. And some may have some special ceremony as an infant. Okay, they want to have a special ceremony, but my my contention is don't call it Christian baptism because according to the Bible, it's not Christian baptism. It's simply a ritual that men have concocted And thought up. It's what I say when when we're about to have communion. I I talk about believers' baptism. We have open communion here, but it's for those who have followed Christ in believers' baptism. That's what it's for. There's biblical propriety here. The first act of obedience, the first act of obedience is baptism. And we know that there are two ordinances that Jesus has ordained for his his church: baptism and what? The Lord's Supper, right? And this is what I'm saying when I talk to you about we have open communion. It's for all who have professed faith in Christ and followed Him in believers' baptism, beloved. Followed Him in what the Bible says about baptism. This is what I'm always referring to when we have communion. I suspect that some of you here have had the same experience that Karen and I had. We both grew up in a tradition where a lot of pressure was put on kids, right? Boy, once you get to 7, 8, 9, 10 and you're not baptized, the hammer's going to drop in Sunday school class, right? And your dad, the deacon, and your mom, the the church secretary, they're going to land on you, right? Well, why aren't you being baptized? Little Johnny was baptized. What's wrong with you? You know? I mean... I don't want to make too much light of it, but that was pretty much it. And I was pressured into it, and I was baptized when I was eight. It didn't mean anything to me. It was something I did for my parents. It made them happy. I did it. My life didn't didn't change. Uh, If you'd have talked to me about Christ, in fact, this did happen. If you'd have come up to me in college and tried to talk to me about Christ, I would have cursed you. Oh, I was a Christian. I was on a church roll somewhere. You know? but I wouldn't have given you two cents for Jesus Christ practically. And if I had to, I would curse you to your face if you tried to witness to me. So, I know what false baptism is all about. I've lived it. I've walked it. And Karen understands too. She was obviously a lot nicer about it than me. But So we were baptized as children. Um... We became official members of our respective churches. But we were not born again until much later in our lives. And as we truly repented of our sin and came to Christ as adults, and as we studied the Bible, we individually arrived at the same conclusion, and that is we had not been biblically baptized. We had done a ritual that pleased our parents and our Sunday school teacher. It was about pleasing them. It really wasn't about Jesus. And so... We came to understand that we had been involved in religion, but we had not been baptized in accordance with the Scriptures. So we desired to follow the Lord in baptism, believer's baptism, subsequent to our true conversion. This is the New Testament pattern. So we submitted ourselves. This happened at different times. We submitted ourselves for baptism. And people would ask me, Jim, why are you being rebaptized?" And I would say, they say, well, you're baptized when you're eight. Why are you doing it again? And I would say, well, you know, I'm not being rebaptized in a biblical sense. In a biblical sense, I'm being baptized for the very first time. Because this time I love Christ. This time I give myself to Christ. This time there's no reservation. This time there's no pretense. This time it's not to please somebody else. This time it's not to be on the church roll. This time it's not to please the preacher or the deacons or the elders. It's because I love him. I know I'm getting excited, but that's how it is. I love him. And you know, when you get rebaptized, quote unquote, in the tradition I grew up in, it makes everybody in the church nervous. <laughs> Why is he doing this? <laughs> what's wrong with him? Or the implication is, what's wrong with me? So uh, we weren't being re-ba- rebaptized, beloved. We. In our view, we're being baptized for the very first time in the way that mattered. As one preacher said, baptism is a sermon without words. You say, Jim, I'm not a preacher. Well, if you've been baptized, if you've made a profession of faith and followed Jesus Christ in full immersion baptism, yes, you have. You've preached the most eloquent sermon that can be preached. Head to toe, you've given yourself away. That's, that's what it means. <laughs> it's the most beautiful sermon that can be preached on the face of the planet. If someone asked me, what was the decisive public way of taking a stand for Jesus in the New Testament? The answer was always baptism. And the answer still the same today. It's believer's baptism. It's full immersion baptism. Don't take my word for it. I always tell you this. Don't take my word for it. You go study it for yourself. You go study what baptizo means. You go read the accounts of baptism in the New Testament. You look at the spiritual imagery and drama and parable in Romans 6, and you tell me (laughs) that you can justify any other mode of baptism other than full immersion... So, some here may need to be baptized. Some of you may be saying, well, Jim, it sounds like you're trying to get some of of us baptized. Well, of course I am. It's my job. It's why I get the big money, right? (laughs) Jesus said, go make disciples and baptize them. I only have two things on my job description. Make disciples and baptize them. So, beloved, I simply say in all love, if you have questions about your understanding of baptism as the Bible teaches it, and your experience in whatever denominational aspect of the church, if you have a question, please come to me. Listen, I'm not, I, I, I don't stand in judgment. We, what we do is we just try to understand the Word of God. We'll try to understand the Word of God together. If you've got a question, we'll look at it together. We'll under, try to understand it together. I'm not going to stand in judgment of you. That's between you and God. If you ask my honest opinion, I'll tell you. But ultimately, it's between you and God. You know why I got re-baptized? You know how it goes. Some of you know how this goes. I'd been baptized when I was 8. I got converted at 28. And I was out on my front porch one morning. And I'd been dealing with this. You know, the, 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 the argument is this. Well, if baptism doesn't save, what difference does it make? If it does save, I've been baptized. You know, I, I kept having this argument in my head. And I just thought, well, It's not important. It's not important. It's not important. I was out on my front porch getting ready to teach a Sunday school class going to drive to church and teach the class and I just got convicted I didn't hear an audible voice but in my spirit the Lord said Jim will you follow me in baptism will you love me like that it was as simple as that will you love me like that will you obey me in this listen everybody I've baptized uh, in my Tenure—it's been about obedience. Ultimately, it's about obedience. <laughs> you know, yes, it's about love and many many other things, but the thing that they finally get to—many of them—the thing that pushes them to the to that point of decision is, I, I see it in the text. I want to obey the Lord. That's really what it comes down to. So, if. You've repented of your sins and received Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've not been baptized since that time. I exhort you to submit yourself for baptism. I call upon you to celebrate what God has done in your life by following Christ in believer's baptism. This is not a denominational thing. This is what God says His disciples do. And beloved, I don't want you to leave anything undone. It matters not to me whether you're baptized or not. I don't, get, I don't get a bonus if I baptize somebody. I don't get a notch on my belt. It doesn't mean anything to me except that I rejoice for you if God has brought you to this place and this conviction that it's time for you to follow Him in biblical baptism. I do not care what your past is all about. I don't care about your denominational experiences. I don't care about any of it but I do call you as a minister of the Gospel, I call you to come to Christ and to obey Him in this. Jesus says the most awesome thing in the Bible. (laughs) Some of you have heard Him. Some of you maybe not. I don't know. God incarnate says, follow Me. This is the most breathtaking thing that a man or woman has ever heard. God incarnate says, I want you to come with me. It gives me goosebumps still. <laughs> God wants you to go with him. And the first step, the first step should be to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. So I'm going to close with the words of Peter in Acts chapter 2 as he preached that great sermon. Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive me for being marginal at best. Sometimes I should have preached this much earlier. But Lord, here we are tonight. You've, you've given us your message. And I suspect there are people all over the spectrum here. People who haven't been baptized or been baptized as infants or falsely baptized as children or not sure if they've been converted. Or I'm sure we're all over the spectrum, Lord. But my prayer is that we would honestly and humbly come before you through the revelation of your word and understand what your command would be to us. Lord, what a beautiful thing. You've claimed us for yourself. You've put that ring on our finger. It's an awesome symbol. It's an awesome symbol because it The reality is so meaningful, so weighty, so deep, so breathtaking. We are Your people. You have come for us. Oh Lord, thank You for this message. And thank You for this high privilege to associate with You and Your church in this way. Oh Lord, I pray there would be no fear about this. This is all about joy. This is all about declaring who I love. This is not some dumb church ritual. This is about declaring to the whole world and my family and my friends and my colleagues and everyone else, I love Christ above all things. He is my God. So Lord, I pray You'll help us. Help us, Lord. Not to be fearful, but to grab on, to lay hold of this beautiful reality. We love You. We praise You. All honor. And glory to the name, the matchless name, the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.